Welcome to Cavalier Central, bringing you everything you need to know about the wine and gold. Hey, hoop heads. We all hate ankle sprains, and they happen way too often. Ankle injuries are the number one sports-related injury. Arise is trying to change that. With the iFast, your athletes get preventative protection and full mobility. Athletes no longer need to wear bulky braces that limit performance and give mediocre protection. Anyone playing sports should be using these products. Keep your athletes in the game. Don't wait for them to get hurt to take action. Visit www.arise.com. Spelled A-R-Y-S-E. And use the code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off the future of performance. That's A-R-Y-S-E dot com with promo code HOOPHEADS to get 20% off. Hey everybody, welcome back. I'm your host, Justin Matcham. In here with me today, Mason Cole and Dan Glinski. Mason, Dan, what's going on, guys? Not much. Not much, man. Just happy, uh, happy Sunday here. Happy Sunday. Well, today we got a few things to talk about. Um, Evan Damarell put together three scenarios for the Cleveland Cavaliers where they can improve their defense and potentially make a push towards the playoffs. So we'll look at those little scenarios. We'll also look at a couple of Bleacher Report articles that were put out lately, one about uh, an under-23 fantasy draft and one about power rankings over the past five years. So we'll start with these three scenarios. Scenario number one was they all have are along the lines of like a trade, a draft pick, and a signing. So scenario number one is trading Andre and Jetty Osmond for Gordon Hayward, drafting Okongwu, signing Tristan Thompson to a three-year for $30 million deal, and then signing Derek Jones Jr. to the full mid-level. Looking at this, this would be a starting lineup of Garland, Sexton, Hayward, Love, Thompson, and then you have... Dante, KPJ, Windler, Derek Jones Jr., Nance, and Okongwu off the bench. One note that I would like to make about this is that the Cavaliers would be deep in the luxury tax if they're going to give Thompson that money. Well, they wouldn't be deep in the luxury tax, but they would be a tax team giving Thompson $10 million a year and then giving him the full mid-level, Derek Jones. And they would also be hard capped by giving him that full mid-level. So this would put the Cavaliers in a tight spot financially. That alone, I think, makes it a little bit unrealistic. But um, we'll start with you, Mason. Just what do you think of the idea of an Andre and Chetty for Hayward deal? Uh, I mean, obviously it would be intriguing because, you know, Gordon Hayward's a solid wing. You know, he's been pretty decent when healthy for the Celtics. But I don't know if it really puts the Cavaliers in much better of a situation overall. I mean, as you said, there's some uh, financial questions that would immediately be brought up. And, you know, Gordon Hayward's not really a, you know, he's not the type of guy that's really going to, you know, shift your organization from being bottom five to really like a, you know, legit playoff contender. I think it would make the Cavaliers better. I think, you know, the drafting of Okongwu would be interesting just because he's one of the higher ceiling prospects in this draft. Bringing Tristan Thompson back is something obviously that's been discussed. 
But, you know, just kind of looking at the whole Gordon Hayward acquisition uh, point of view from this, I think it'd be kind of a weird thing for the Cavaliers to do, in my opinion, at least. Well, another thing is we also know that Hayward might want out of Boston this year, and he might not even pick up that player option. So you'd have to convince him to pick up the player option and then come to Cleveland. Dan, where are you at with this, with with all of this, this whole situation? Well... I mean, you take it with a grain of salt with the Chris Paul stuff. Um, and obviously, Wendy basically said the caveat that there hasn't been any discussion, whatever. Um, but to me, if I think for the Cavs, I mean, they might as well do it um, just because would they, again, like, would this be feasible? Who knows? But are you looking at the Chris Paul or the Gordon Hayward trade here? Well, I, I was just touching on, like, Wendy's deal initially. I think just him in general. I think it would be – a lot of people probably think, like, it would take time away from young guards. But um, I, I think for – I mean, I, I think for the Cavs it would be smart to do it just because it's an, an asset you can have to trade down the road anyway. And um, just because for – Garland, I think it'd be obviously the minutes would be scaled back a ton, but I think for his overall growth, it'd, it'd help him to have that kind of player in the locker room. Um, just it seemed like he helps OKC and, and their young guys in that way. So, but I guess for Damarell, um, yeah, scenario number one, I I don't really love the idea of I, I like I guess I get it where he's coming from for Hayward. Um, but I'm not really a huge fan of the Gordon Hayward stuff just because what, I mean, assuming he opts in, uh, I don't know. I, I, I think there's I, I'm just a little questionable on if Hayward has had so many injury things, um, these last few years, obviously they are, they aren't, they weren't related, but I just question that. Um, and then from there, I, yeah, Tristan Thompson for a three-year deal. I don't really love that idea at all. Uh, so I not really crazy about that one. But uh, again, getting a Kongwu is kind of the key there. Um, I, I'd be a huge fan of him. I've hit on that a number of times. But um, scenario number two, I'll I'll hard pass on Yaka Pertle. They're just not not a fan really for the Cavs. I, I don't buy that his game would translate here. I just think he's been in, in two really good situations. I don't see that. Um, but the last one, I'm yeah, obviously the Adams thing is financial. They'd have to there have to be more there. It, you would you would think um, they'd have to scale that out. But I if he, I don't know. I mean, there's been reports from Sam Amico that the Cavs aren't interested in Derek Jones, and I don't know. To me, Derek I, Jones, yeah, I, I'm I'm not really. I, I've kind of. I guess Jones would be fine if they did eventually get him. I think that's just what kind of pops out there um, from these. But, yeah, I I don't know. It's I, You take it with a grain of salt. Um, they're just hypotheticals. But um, I, I think the key here is I just think in the Cavs, for, it just reiterates in the draft how they really should be going defense. Uh, I just think they're – given that it seems like Drummond is – probably on a short shelf, shorter shelf life here. You, you need to get guys that project as plus defenders. That's just really what pops out to me. And I, I think Dan Favelli, Blue's report, um, just kind of 
a player that I like in free agency a lot that he suggested for an RFA target is um, Wes Acon- or Awundu from Magic. I really like his game. Awundu, I, I think yeah. I, I think that's a guy that um, really could help us. And he's he's not 26 yet. I think he'd fit the timeline too. Um, and I think in in the Cavs, I think you get more minutes. Um, could be could be a starting three guy. Um, that's that's kind of. But in general, I just think it's. These are interesting hypotheticals, but again, we'd have to add more into that Drummond and Jetty for Paul and Adam stuff. Yeah, well, we'll look at this um, this number two situation here first, just just to touch on it real quick. Um, it, it is Exum and a twenty twenty two second round, or not not a second round, but a first round pick for Jakob Pertl. That that twenty two pick is coming from. Milwaukee. Uh, that would, I guess, it would technically be a sign and trade. You would give Jakob Pertl a sign and trade for four years, seven point one two five million per. And then in this situation, they also have Dunn on the mid level for the Cavs and Okoro. Um, this makes a little bit more sense financially, just because again, you're not bringing back Tristan in this situation, so you have more of that mid level to spend. You draft Okoro. Um, you're you're spending less on Pertle than you would be on Exum. Um, and then just looking at th- that starting lineup, you have pretty much the same being Garland, Sexton, Jetty, Love, Drummond. And then you have Dunn, KPJ, Okora, Windler, Nance, Pertle off the bench. The big here, the, the biggest thing here is I just don't know if... It, and it'd be interesting to see how San Antonio values Jakob Pertle because you're getting a pick, a first rounder that is in Milwaukee, which it looks like... the. Circumstances are maybe Giannis leaves, and if Giannis were to leave Milwaukee, that pick would obviously be a lot more valuable. But otherwise, you're just getting a late first. So, is San Antonio willing to part with Jakob Pertl on a really, really good deal just to just to you know get that late first? And also, is Jakob Pertl going to demand more than that because? You know, he is a restricted free agent, so he would have to agree to this in the first place. So, yeah, overall, again, you know, you get Pirtle as a bench center, I think, behind Drummond. I think that would be a great role and a good contract for Pirtle. But, um, yeah, overall, this one, I think, you know, it'd, it'd be cool if this could happen. But overall, I don't really see it happening. Yeah, I mean, I think that that obviously would be kind of an interesting move to bring him in but you know as as Dan kind of alluded to you have to wonder how much of his success sort of has been with being with you know good organizations like the Spurs uh and you know that's another guy that you're not really sure how much he's necessarily going to affect things you know he probably would be on the uh, you know coming off the bench behind Drummond he'd be you know he'd be a good bench piece i think the most attractive part of that whole scenario uh, that was brought up would be the drafting of Isaac Okoro because I think, you know, I think he's going to be a solid player. But overall, you know, bringing in Chris Dunn, Perto, Okoro, this whole scenario would be for improving the defense, which I guess is definitely something that the Cavs need to look into. I'm just not sure uh, how good. I just don't know necessarily how much of an effect Pirtle and, you know, Chris Dunn are going to necessarily have on adding success you know sort of this year so i mean i would this isn't like a trade that would upset me i'm just not this is another one that i'm kind of 
wary on, you know. Yeah, I, I kind of agree with you there. I didn't, like I said, I don't, I don't think it's the worst idea in the world. I just, I, I don't know if you can pull this Pearl trade off again. I think mm-hmm. Pearl is probably worth it more than that on the open market. On the open market, and that alone makes it kind of complicated. So we'll move on to the final, to the final deal here, the final scenario, which Danny kind of touched on with the Chris Paul trade. Um, the the deal that was proposed was Drummond and Jetty for Chris Paul and Steven Adams. Now, this is not a trade that works. Um, obviously, Steven Adams is making about $27.5 million. Um, Drummond making 28.7, Jetty making 8.8, and Chris Paul making 41.3. So the, the money doesn't match up there. If the Cavaliers wanted to bring in Steven Adams and Chris Paul, just from a financial standpoint, it would probably mean also trading... Larry Nance and Dante Exum. So you're looking at Drummond, Jetty, Nance, and Exum for Paul and Adams. Now, in this situation, you're also drafting Patrick Williams and signing Jarek Jones Jr., which, again, we alluded to. If you're going to add that much money in a trade and then you add Derek Jones Jr., you're going to be hard-capped and you're probably going to be a luxury tax team, so I'm not really too hot on that idea. And the Cavaliers aren't really interested in Derek Jones Jr. anyway. But just looking at a Chris Paul trade... Um, Dan, are you, do you like the idea of getting both Paul and Adams, even if you have to give up that much? Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess now, now that I think about it, I'm kind of soured on the Paul stuff. I mean, but if, if it's Drummond and Jetty for Paul, yeah, I'm doing that 20 times a week, uh, 40 on Sunday. Like, um, yeah, with with that being the case, yeah, if Nance has to be included, I think about it, no. But I mean, based on Wendy saying that that's what it would take, I would do that. But um, just be uh, obviously, Paul's not going to wouldn't be cheap. But what what are, the Cavs aren't going to be free agency players. I mean, where it's really notable anyway. So um, it, it would give give you an expiring asset down the road anyway. Um, you would think if he opted in or maybe at the, this coming deadline. So if that's what it would take and maybe you could work out a deal with the Bucks down the road, for example, um, or the Clippers, then go ahead. But yeah, in this sense, given that the looking at the financial outlook of it, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pass on that one. Mason, how do you just like the fit of Chris Paul in Cleveland in general with you know his fit with the backcourt? I think it'd definitely be an interesting fit because you know it would it would likely result in Darius Garland uh, coming off the bench, but yes. you know Paul, you know a, a a backcourt of Chris Paul and Colin Sexton, I at least think would be somewhat interesting to watch because you know this whole season one of the kind of questions was about those two in terms of playmaking because Garland and Sexton, neither of them really took on that sort of bulk of of the playmaking guard just because they're both so young. Chris Paul obviously would be the head uh, playmaker of the Cavaliers at that point. I think it would be interesting to bring him in, um, and I think Dan alluded to it earlier, just simply to see how he could affect uh, you know our, our, our young guards uh, and, and if he'd have a positive effect on them, help them develop into possibly better overall playmakers. I definitely think that would be a trade worthy of the Cavaliers making. But, um, you know, saying that you'd have to give up Drummond, Osmond, uh, Exum, and Nance, it, it sort of feels like a hefty price at that point. But 
you know, just purely on the prospects of adding Chris Paul, I think it would I, I definitely think that it would help the Cavaliers backcourt uh, as they as they move, you know, towards the future with Sexton and Garland. Well, I think if, if you add Chris Paul, let, let's just say it is just Paul, just Paul. We're not looking at Steven Adams just for Drummond and Jetty because that does work. Um, and, and maybe I don't know what financial you know, or not financial, but with draft compensation, they might want along with that. I think Chris Paul's value is a little bit more than that. But um, let's just say those are the key players that are moving out are Drummond and Jetty. That you're looking at, like you said, you know, a, a lineup of Paul Sexton, you know, whoever at small forward. It could be KPJ, it could be Wendler, it could be a draft pick. Love and, you know, maybe you resign Tristan. Say it's just a lineup of... We'll just say, for example, Paul Sexton, Okoro, Love, Thompson. And then you have whoever else coming off the bench. You know, Exum, Nance, Windler, you know, KPJ, Garland. Is that a playoff team in the East? I, You have to believe that it is. I think they'd make a push. I mean, not a ton of people thought the Thunder were going to be, you know, a playoff team last year just because, you know, people assumed they were going to not necessarily be the best team in the world, but I think the effect of Chris Paul would make them competitive. I think that definitely would be uh, a, a much, much stronger team than before. And I think it'd be interesting to see what, what, what would unfold there. Uh, it, I don't want to say yes, because, you know, it just watching this Cavs team, it seems like the addition of Chris Paul and a couple other pieces doesn't seem like it would be enough, but it, it definitely would be interesting to see. Yeah, would, Eddie, would the addition of Chris Paul make this a playoff team? Say you do bring back Tristan as your starting center. Uh, I'm with Mason. I can't be definitive there. But I just think looking at how when you factor in that um, play-in tournament with like the 7 through 10 seeds, I think that's – def- it'd be a shoo-in to be in that. Um, but – Ugh, it's it's hard to say for me anything definitive on the Cavs. Like, honestly, I look around. I, I think Chicago really next year, um, given this, they could get a key piece this coming draft. I think they're a team that really could vie for the playoffs. Um, you still got, like, the Orlandos of the world in there. Um, and I, I don't see that for sure, but they definitely would get within that tournament, I would think. Um, but, yeah, as Mason said, with how Paul factored into winning for um, the Thunder last year, and um, that was definitely a surprise. It, yeah, you'd have to think that there's at least a good chance. Another thing to consider with Chris Paul, not only is he making a lot of money for a, a lot of years, it, he is getting older, and you know the decline you know will start to happen at some point, and he is also an injury risk yeah. at all times. You know, and and you're, you're committing a lot here to a team that again you think you know, uh, an optimistic outcome. You know, the Cavs could be maybe you know a six or uh, five or six seed if things really break right. But you're probably looking at a team that's going to be in that that playing range of teams, and that's if Paul stays healthy. And you're committing a lot of money and you know assets most likely to doing that. Again, if the Cavaliers wanted to, and obviously Windhorse said it, you know, they, they could get that deal done if they really wanted to. I just don't think 
again, and I'm not sure why why OKC does it either, just because you're looking at Drummond and Steven Adams being in OKC. I don't think that there's a realistic outcome where the Cavaliers take on Adams just because, again, you're going to have to add so much to that trade just to make the money work, and then you're still going to be an insanely expensive team next year because of that. You know, expensive considering what you're you're bringing in. So overall, I, I think this is mostly just a hypothetical saying, yeah, it could happen. Um, obviously, there are no reports that it it's likely. Overall, I'm I'm out on the idea. Would you both kind of agree with that? Yeah, I'd probably be out too. <laughs> yeah, well, if they could make yeah, if it's just that baseline hypothetical, Wendy said, I, I'd be all for it. But um, yeah, I, but for the Thunder. I, it, they just want to get off Paul, and it seems like kind of go into that eventually, go into that full rebuild. Um, and Schroeder has been um, kind of a subject and some rumors as well. So um, it, yeah, like Adams having Adams and Drummond wouldn't be ideal, but it seems like they just be in, in a, they could end up flipping both anyway. So um, I, I don't read a ton into it, but I don't know. I think if I, the Cavs might consider that. Um, we'll see. But, yeah, I mean, the th- we'd have to see as far as draft compensation goes. But um, it's it's just intriguing to me f- just from kind of like a, a leadership presence standpoint for him. Yeah, for sure. I think that, that, like you said, that baseline package is definitely intriguing. But I think once it gets to the point where I think that there are going to be teams out there that offer more than – yeah. An expiring, a big expiring in Jetty Osman. I think that they can get more, more yeah. for him. Hoopheads Nation, we appreciate you listening to this episode of Cavalier Central with Justin Matcham. We also have other team-focused NBA podcasts, including Knock a Few Buck, Grizz and Grind, 305 Culture, Hashtag Lakers, and Blazing the Path. Be sure to check out these other basketball pods on the Hoopheads Podcast Network too, including Thrive with Trevor Huffman, Beyond the Ball, the CoachMaze.com Podcast, Players Court, and Bleachers and Boards. Oh, and don't forget to check out our flagship, the Hoopheads Podcast, hosted by me, Mike Cleansing, and my co-host, Jason Sunkel, featuring the best minds in the game, from grassroots to the NBA. We'll move on here to our next kind of topic. We had a Bleacher Report article where they put together an under 23 years old fantasy draft. Um, the Cavaliers had two players on this list. Kevin Porter Jr. came in at number 18. Colin Sexton came in at number 24. Darius Garland left off the list, which to an extent is understandable. But what I really want to look at with this, this whole list, and I don't have it pulled up in front of me, but... Um, I know that we'll start with KPJ. They had Gary Trent Jr. of the Portland Trailblazers ahead of Kevin Porter Jr. Um, just looking at that alone, did either, either of you have any thoughts about that? Go ahead, Mason. Uh, I mean, I definitely think it's it's somewhat interesting because you know, I mean, Gary Trent I, he had a he definitely improved from from year one to year two. But, you know, just purely from, I guess, what what I have seen, I would have to think that Kevin Porter Jr. would at least have 
a higher ceiling to the point where you'd think maybe he'd be higher on the list just because, you know, it's basically a list based off their uh, career projections. But, you know, it's interesting. I if if it was me personally, I would have probably put Kevin Porter Jr. above him. But, you know, everybody's got their own different opinions on these players. I just think Kevin Porter Jr. would would have been higher. And I understand it. I guess I should look at, you know, are are they ranking these based off the player they are right now or are they ranking this based off of, you know, what the player could be? Because I think if you're looking at what the player could be, Kevin Porter Jr. is obviously higher on that list. Obviously, Gary Trent is a player who, you know, is somebody who can contribute to a playoff team, obviously, right now. I think more so. I think just his shooting and his defense, you know, he, he is more valuable to a team like that, you know, just this past season. But overall, you know, I look at if you're going by that by those standards, I think that Colin Sexton should be ahead of Kevin Porter. I think that's obvious. I think Colin was a 20 point per game score. He was a starter on this team, and Kevin Porter wasn't. So, just looking at solely the Kevin Porter ranking, where are you at with that one, Dan? I think it's probably about fair. Um, I think nationally, I think it just people just don't have are not high on the Cavs kind of. I guess prospects, whatever you want to call them, young guys, um, and this just kind of shows. I like he needs to be more efficient as a jump shooter. Um, shot, I believe, sub thirty three percent of jumpers last year. Um, it, we need to see more consistency for him. That's still why I, I frankly believe he should just be off the bench this year. Again, um, I think this is probably fair. I would is Trent a little high, maybe, but. He's a really high-level defender, so uh, it's not like I don't have like a huge take on that. And everybody probably will be up in arms about having R.J. Barrett where he's at over Colin Sexton and Kevin Porter. Uh, I wouldn't have had Barrett over Sexton, but I would definitely have had Barrett over KPJ. Uh, I mean, he wasn't overly efficient last year. That's clear. Um, he needs needs to improve as a shooter as well, but. Um, looking at the, the Cavs at least had, I mean, there was some spacing. We have like, they had some shooters that were viable. Um, the Knicks had no, I mean, what RJ Barrett was driving into was like a literal brick wall. And he, I I thought he honestly like was fairly impressive. Just the product overall production with the archaic offensive stuff. And well, Grant, I guess that's probably not going to be better from a schematic standpoint, but um, I, I just think the ratings were pretty fair. Um, I, I like, yeah, would I have had Colin over Kobe White? Yeah, but would I have had him over Markel Fultz? I thought Fultz was honestly low, um, high-level playmaker. Uh, but Kevin Porter, I, I think that was about fair. Colin was the one that was kind of the outlier. I thought he was pretty low, but... If I mean he he we do need to see more um, of him growth overall and does he continue to prove himself as a shooter all that stuff that's I, I I can understand where um, he was coming from here but yeah Colin is clearly it just shows that he's I guess it's just more motivation for him that kind of thing yeah one thing I do want to talk about with Colin Sexton real quick. Um, obviously he, he did come in at 24. We can talk about DeAnthony Melton in a minute and just, you know, who we would take there. But Lugens Dort came in at number 21 
And I really just don't understand that one. Like, again, I, I really like Lugan Stort. I, you know, I actually I got to meet Lugan Stort in the summer league. You know, he's somebody that I think is a good player. Um, somebody who I've, I've been a fan of all year. But if it hadn't been for a game seven where obviously, you know, we know what he brings on the defensive end. But if it hadn't been for a game seven where he was left wide open the entire game and he just so happened to make his threes he would be off this list I feel like and instead he is at 21 ahead of Jared Allen ahead of DeAnthony Melton ahead of Colin Sexton where are you at with that one Dan yeah you you hit the nail on the head Um, that definitely helped his case but I'll admit though he's I I don't know I mean he's pretty young still uh, very young and I don't know. He's he's a good finisher um, inside for a player um, that it's a complete non-shooter. Um, but honestly, I, I like him as a player. I, I think he impacts winning. Um, I, I I would have loved for the Cavs to purchase oh, him. Sure. It, it, yeah, like, I, sure. I, I thought that was. I think he's a steal player. Um, I'm actually kind of okay with it. But I would have had Jared Allen significantly higher. Um, he's a real rim protector. Has um, real pick and pop ability. I, I thought he was really low. I but Dort over Colin um, is is a little high. That I think yeah. is just kind of ridiculous. But yeah, like but ball ball right under Colin. Like come that on, too. man. That too. We I can mean, get I, to that in a minute. And uh, honestly, like Kevin Herter at twenty six, that's damn low. Yeah, like like that kid can play. And Kevin Herter behind Bull Bull. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't. Yeah, it, this is a little bit whacked. Yeah. Um, just with the Lou Dort, you know, a few spots over Colin Sexton, where are you at with that one, Mason? Um, I mean, I agree with pretty much what both of you said. I prob- I mean, it's not anything, like, obscene. It's not, like, the craziest, uh, you know, ranking in the world, but I, yeah. I would have had Colin above him. I definitely do think that there are some people, um, I don't, it, not necessarily who underrate Colin Sexton, but just are turned off by him because of his lack of defense or really much passing yet. But you would think that somebody who started and scored, you know, 20 points per game at least would be able to crack, I guess, the top 20. I mean, I, I just, you know, I don't know. I just think right now Colin Sexton is probably underrated. And maybe part of it is because of the fact that he hasn't played since March and people haven't seen him play in a very long time. That's a good point, yeah. But, you know, it's nothing too crazy. And luckily, with what we've seen from Colin Sexton, he he thrives when he's underrated. He works harder, all that. So it's it's nothing crazy. But I would have had him higher. (laughs) I I, I even think that Putting D'Anthony Melton over Colin is a reach. D'Anthony Melton is a a fine combo guard player. You know, he gives you a little bit of everything on offense, and he's a good defender. But overall, I, I just I don't see it over Colin. And looking at just, I mean, again, Darius Garland may not belong on this list, and I understand that. But you have guys like Keldon Johnson and Bull Bull who made this list. I, again, obviously, Bull Bull is like you know, the ideal Bleacher Report player where, you know, I mean, he's just a physical specimen, so everybody's obsessed with him. Like, like he played in the bubble because he had to because the Nuggets didn't have anybody else. But we saw as soon as, you know, they got their roster together and the playoffs started, he didn't play at all. And that was for a good reason. And again, like, yes, the, you know, the intrigue about him is obvious, 
but he's so rail thin and I'm not a hundred percent sold in the jump shot. I just, I don't think that this is somebody who even really has, I, I don't see has, has somebody who has star potential. I think he could be, you know, a kind of high efficiency and quick spurts, but I just don't know if he's ever going to be someone that stays on the floor. So overall, like I, I would probably take Garland over him. Would you not? It would definitely be something that um, I, I think that there there's there's cases for each player simply because you know Garland I, he, Garland did play a whole season uh, and he did he 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 had flashes but you know he struggled a lot. I think people are obsessed with Bull Bull just because of that. Like it, it was like an exhibition game that mm-hmm. he looked pretty good and he had a couple of highlight you know plays. Yeah, he had the uh, pull up three and yeah, other things. Three. Yeah. I think he's another guy who's a little bit overrated. I'm sure he'll be a good player. I mean, he's got he he's in a good organization. He's got obviously the the size and the shooting ability at times, but I I mean, I don't think that there's really too much you can point to that you would say you would take him over Darius Garland yet cuz he just hasn't played that much. Where are you on with that one, Dan? Uh, I don't know. I mean, Paul, uh, I I should he be on this list? No, but yeah, I guess I'd take, yeah, I would take Garland just because it, at least it's, I mean, ball like has the wingspan, all that stuff, but yeah, it's just, it, it's, I mean, Garland even was, I mean, injuries probably going forward could, I mean, could potentially be a hamperer for him at times, but I just think he's, I think la- I'm not going to – I don't weigh too much from last season. Um, just the coaching stuff, uh, he, there was a lot to deal with for him. And, yeah, it, this is a pretty ideal situation for Bull Bull. Um, yeah, like on the Cavs, would he have worked out? I, I don't buy that at all. I, I just – I really don't. And I, I don't I, – he's a really talented player, but as, as you hit on – um, I, honestly, I question if he can really even have like a, a real second contract at some point, just because he is so thin. I, I mean, ridiculous. Like, it is insane. Like, he should be eating cheeseburgers during games thin. And I just, yeah, I, I, I would take Garland for sure. But, but it was a little weird. I mean, it's is it current player? Is it looking onward? That sort of thing. Like, the to have Herder behind Bull Bull is ridiculous. Yeah. I think, you know, just looking at Bull Bull player. I think Herger's going to be an all-star. That's my opinion. I think I think he's criminally underappreciated. I think he's definitely, like, a legitimate starting shooting guard. I don't know if I would have him at all-star, but I definitely oh, think... I mean, not... I, I, I think just, that his, his rating on this list is ridiculous. Yeah, and... I, yeah, I... God, I, I love Kevin Herter. I don't know what else to say. Like he, he's, but I mean, him and Colin both are the ones that that jump out here. I, I don't know. I mean, DeAnthony Melton. I, I think he impacts winning. Like I, I, I rate defenders probably higher than a lot of people, but um, it, it's just I, I really think like Colin will end up in impacting winning. I just think it's it's the list is just very subjective. It's just it's hard to say. Yeah. Overall, with Bull Bull, I think he is somebody who will get a second contract as far as long as he stays healthy. But you're saying, you know, with that real thin, you know, he's had foot injuries. That's a real concern, I think, is just can he can he stay on the floor? Because that's the reason he fell in the first place is because he got hurt and was out the entire season. It took him forever to get back into it. And, you know, I mean, he played in the G League all year. 
we didn't even see him until the bubble, but I just think based on the bubble performance alone, having him on this list, I think is pretty ridiculous. But um, any final thoughts there before we move on to this last part? Um, not not much. I mean, Kelton Johnson didn't play much, but he's he's gonna be he's gonna have a big year. Yeah, I think he'll be fine. Again, to somebody who I think. The sample size, I don't know if it was big enough to put him on this list, but fair enough. Yeah, and we'll Zach, move on and to Zach, the less... I mean, Zach Collins, like, what the hell? <laughs> I, I thought Zach Collins deserved to be there. Did you not? Uh, not really. That's just my opinion. I mean... Not high much, on Zach Collins? I think pretty, I think pretty much, a, pretty much, like, if he's on the floor for 20 minutes, he's going to foul five times. Like, that's... He's pretty thin, too. He's pretty thin, but I think... He's someone who, like, especially to this Portland team who just, like, needed some big men this year. If they had had him, they would have been in a much better situation. Someone who can play the four or the five. I think you'd rather have him at the five, but a a shooting big who does a little bit of everything else. I I think I was fine with his position. I thought he could have been inched a little bit higher. All right. (laughs) Well, we'll move on here to our last part. Bleacher Report also put together a power ranking of every team in the league over the past five seasons. So that's looking at 2015-16 on. Obviously, that was the year the Cavs won a championship. Um, if this had been done a couple years ago and you you know included the entire LeBron era, I think, or LeBron era part two, I guess I should say, I think that the Cavaliers would be higher on this list. But just including you know the past couple years... I was personally fine with the Cavs ranking at number five on this list. The Cavs over the past five years were behind the Houston Rockets, the San Antonio Spurs, the Toronto Raptors, and the Golden State Warriors. Did either of you have any any disagreements with their with their ranking? Not really. Uh, I think, I mean, you know, obviously Golden State's going to be number one. I think that Toronto, uh, San Antonio, and Houston all – have been, you know, consistently good. Obviously, Tur- Toronto's won a title recently, and, you know, the Spurs and the Rockets until this past season really were never truly out of the playoff conversation. Having the Cavs at five, I think, is is fair. I think that's a fair spot for them. If I were to say one that I think should be a little bit lower, I would put the, I, I would knock the Spurs down a peg. Just because, I mean, this was after, you know, their title runs. This is looking at 2015-16 on. Especially at the beginning, they were a very real team, but they never went that far. And just looking at how they've kind of slowly regressed each year, that's one where I would have had them lower than they were placed. That's fair. Where are you at with this one, Dan? Yeah, I'm with you on the Spurs, too. That that seemed to be um, pretty high, but... Other than that, it was it was pretty reasonable. Um, not not a whole lot uh, that was all that notable, um, at least to me. But I like where they had the Jazz too. For example, um, they've been a consistent playoff team. So um, those eight, those yep. and those kind of teams that were kind of middle in the pack type. Like I like where they had Indy as well. Um, yeah, that the Spurs one definitely was was key. Honestly, I thought, um, I guess maybe the Celtics a tad low, but yeah, maybe not. I guess them. Where were the, the Celtics ch- ranked? 
10. I guess, like, them and the Jazz, I guess, like, 10 and 8 could be flipped, maybe. But, yeah, it was pretty much the Spurs one to me. It was, that was about it. Yeah, I just think, you know, I mean, look at the Cavaliers. They had three final runs in this time. Obviously, two really, really bad years along with it. But I think... I don't know. I, I think the Spurs belong in that kind of Celtics jazz range, almost. Maybe ahead of both of those teams, but definitely don't see why. I, I think this is another team where if this was a few years earlier and you include those, those you know, yeah. early to mid-2000s years, then they might be number one. But yeah. as of right now, I just, I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that one. But, um... That's all we got for today. Is there anything else either of you would like to say before we get out of here? No, I think we hit on about everything. Yeah, that's that's about it, man. All right. Well, with that, then we will get out. Um, thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Um, thank you, Dan and Mason, for coming on. If you enjoyed listening, please subscribe, uh, rate and review, five stars, all that good stuff, and we will see you next time. If you have an existing podcast or are looking to launch your own pod but aren't sure where to start, the team at My Podcast Manager can help. Our podcast team works behind the scenes so you can do what you do best. We'll help you launch your podcast, make it sound great, and free up your time for the more enjoyable parts of podcasting. If you're ready to put your podcast editing, production, and promotion on autopilot with a trusted team of podcasting professionals, visit MyPodcastManager.com to get started. Thank you for listening to Cavalier Central. Be on the lookout for another episode coming soon.